Adam, we've gone through a couple of passages this morning about the announcements, and then all of those passages and this passage in the book. Um, these are all words of God. These are all um, truths that we can hold on to um, and cling to just in our life, um, yeah, just as the promises of, of the Lord. So just as I read um, from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 to 10, I just pray that you would um, hear them and be filled with God's glory. So, first one. Now the tax collector and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So he told them <coughs> this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in, op- in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on, its sh- on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so, I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over the ninety-nine righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it. And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so, I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of the Lord. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for bringing us here this morning to remind us of your love for us forgiveness and your mercy, Lord. I just pray as Andrew comes up to lead us through this passage that you would fill him with your spirit, that we would hear the words of God for us this morning. church uh, just if you have your bible with you uh, keep it open at luke chapter 15 do do bring your bible to church every sunday like we open it and we read it and we we learn from it so bring your bibles keep it open at luke 15 that's where we're going to be but before we get into that i just want to um just mention one thing that's happening in our church uh we we talked about this our members meeting last sunday night for those of you who weren't there or if you're not a member uh uh we where where is he where's duncan scotland Oh, you just can't get the staff these days. Duncan, we are, uh, we've, we've decided that um, we're, we want to bring Duncan on as a deacon, uh, a deacon for, I think we're calling it deacon of facilities. That means that he'll just be uh, leading the way and, and making sure this place is maintained and well looked after. Duncan has just been doing a great job of that already. Uh, and, you know, the other day he's out the back with his arms down drains and all that kind of stuff. He's just been doing a really good job of that. And it's going to help Lauren out a lot because she is stressed with the amount of things that need to be kept on top of around here. Um, and so uh, we have deci- he's, we've decided to make him a Duncan, and what we're doing is we're... Uh, what? We decided to make Deacon a Duncan. Uh, so but Acts, Acts 6 says, um, that Acts 6, we see that the apostles tell the church to choose from among yourselves. So what we're doing is we're asking you guys to give us, do you, do you affirm this? Do you think he's a good choice for this? Um, and so over the next few weeks, Duncan's going to be doing some uh, 
learning and some training on what it means to be a deacon. That's going to be a hard one to get around, isn't it? Dunkin' Deacon. Um, so do let us know. Come to us and, and say, yes, that's a great idea, or no, here's why. We don't think you should be doing this. Um, and really then, hopefully by Easter, we'll be able to, you know, just install him into that office. Um, but he's just been doing it already, and it makes a lot of sense. And he's a faithful, godly guy. Um, so yes, uh, not that faithful. He's away in Scotland instead of being in church. Anyway, um, uh, let's get into Luke chapter 15. Um, Luke 15 is, Luke 15 uh, we're, is kind of one theme, right? The whole chapter. Um, some scholars call this passage the heart of the gospel. Um, and I think it's where Luke really just showcases Jesus just saying, this is what my heart is. This is, this is who I am. This is who my father is. And so this week, we're going to look at the first half of that, the, the first two parables, the lost sheep and the lost coin. And then next Sunday, uh, John from, from Village East is going to come over here, and he's going to uh, take you guys through the parable of the prodigal son. And I'm actually going to be, we're going to be swapping. I'm going to be over there next Sunday. Um, but these three stories, the, the, lost, the, the lost sheep, the lost coin, and the lost sons, um, they're just illustrating and explaining uh, the heart of the gospel. God's heart is for the lost. I don't want to start preaching. I actually want to take a second and pray um, for this and pray for us as we hear this, and then we'll get into it. Um, Father, uh, I just want to submit to your authority now. I don't want to say anything now that isn't from you. Uh, Father, give us ears to hear what you're saying. Uh, Lord, we are your sheep, and we need you to feed us. We need you to look after us. We need you to provide for us. Um, Help us to hear you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, this theme of things being lost is, is, is really common in uh, movies and books and, and TV shows. You might remember the TV show that was called Lost. You might remember Tom Hanks in uh, Castaway when he had his wee friend, the volleyball, Wilson. Um, but culture resonates with this theme of being lost and, and being found over and over again. This is a similar story. Um, and maybe I think that's because there only is one story in history. There only is one story, and that's the story of salvation. Uh, Haley always rolls her eyes because I always say, there's only, see it, there's Jesus. There's only one story, whatever it is we're watching. But I wonder, have you ever lost something valuable and then found it again? There's nothing worse than that feeling of losing something that means a lot to you, but nothing better than that feeling of finding it. Um, I remember a couple of stories, a couple of stories, a couple of summers ago. Um, uh, we lost our dog. Uh, we were up in the north coast and we were out for the day and there was a big thunderstorm and he took off and, and we couldn't find him. And it was both traumatic and dramatic, right? We were, we were distraught. Like we thought he was gone forever. And uh, what did we do? We went out looking for him. We, I was out all day and all night, right till like two in the morning and then the pouring rain and then the, and the thunderstorm looking for this dog, climbing over hedges and looking in fields. That's what you do when you lose something that, that is valuable to, to you. You go looking for it. And here in this passage, Jesus is describing the gospel. Something is lost, something is sought for and found, and then there is rejoicing when it is found. Now, here's what I want to start by saying. I think that what this passage is doing, what Jesus is doing here, is, is saying that, that there is nothing worse than being spiritually lost, but... There's nothing worth celebrating more than being spiritually found. And there's a tension for us that, that this passage, and in, in fact, the prodigal son as well, brings up for us because Jesus is clearly teaching that you're either lost or found. And that's a tension that we have to live in. 
Uh, you're either, there is no middle ground. And, and the Bible uses this kind of binary language, right? We live in a non-binary world now, don't we? But, but see, the, the Bible uses binary language. You're either lost or found. You're either dead or alive. You're either saved or unsaved. You're either in Christ or outside of Christ. Now, we don't like that language. We don't like the idea of being lost. It's too exclusive. There's no wiggle room. There's, a, there's no way for us to reason our way out of it. But the good news is that if you are lost, you don't have to stay lost. The good news is that, that, that we were lost, but Jesus sought and found us. This is the central message of, of the Gospel of Luke. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. Jamie's on the screen. Jesus came to seek and save the lost. So God, in his master plan of salvation, into his fallen world, sent his only son into his creation to go after, to seek, and to rescue the lost. And, and, and quite simply, this is just the good news of the gospel. Here we find Jesus on his way to Jerusalem. He, he's journeying. We're in this middle section of the, of the book of, 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 of Luke. And, and Luke is collecting all these things that happened throughout Jesus' life as he makes his way from Galilee in the north over weeks and months down to Jerusalem and he's ministering to people along the way. He's preaching the good news and he's doing the good works of the kingdom. He's calling people to repent. We don't like that word either, but that's what Jesus does all the time. The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the good news. And and as he does so, as he's going about doing all these things, all these kinds of people are coming to him. We saw that last week. Big crowds of people are following him. But today, Luke and Jesus, Luke records a story where Jesus focuses in on two kinds of people. Two types of people. Look at verses 1 to 2 with me. It says, Luke describes the scene. He's setting the scene. Now, the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. So on one hand, you have the tax collectors and the sinners. And on the other hand, you have the Pharisees and the scribes. And in those days, you couldn't find two more opposite groups of people, right? See, see, the tax collectors, and we, I think we've talked about this before as we've studied Luke, the tax collectors were, were, were universally hated. See, they were, they were Jewish people, Israelite people, whose job it was to collect money from their fellow Jews and then give it over to the, to the oppressive Roman government. And then on top of that, they used that opportunity to, to charge people more than they needed to so they could get rich themselves. So they were essentially taking people money away from their own struggling people so they could get rich and they were doing it illegally they had enforcers that would go around and be like kind of pay up you know like you know protection money thugs down the road like that's what they would do and they were like hey you have to pay up we'd send the heavies around they were the mafia of the day one historian uh, um, from the fifth century said the tax collector is the personification of licensed violence of legal sin they're not financially lost. But so in other places, Jesus speaks directly to the poor. But they are spiritually lost. They're not materially poor, but they're spiritually poor. And it's because of their sin, because they have turned their backs away from their fellow Jews, they were not just social outcasts, but they were religious outcasts. And that society, religion, uh, and, and law all kind of merged into one. They, they couldn't go into the synagogue. They're, they're, they wanted to maybe make a donation to the synagogue to, to, you know, care for the poor or whatever, or to maybe try and please God in some way. And the synagogue say, no, we don't want your money. Their, their testimony wouldn't be received in a court of law. They are the lowest of the low. 
And the word sinners here that Paul uses is just kind of a, a catch-all term for anybody that's immoral in any way, anybody that's not living in line with the Jewish law. Now, on the other hand, you have the Pharisees and the scribes, and they are the epitome of the law. They were the most holy and religious people, right? They're, they're the good-living Christians that, that don't say bad words and don't drink and don't smoke. And they go to the prayer meeting, they have the biggest Bibles on their arms. That's who they are. They're always well-presented and well-dressed, and, and they never step foot out of line. On the surface, they have it all together. But Luke tells us they have a problem with Jesus. You see, Jesus is a, is a Jewish teacher. He's a rabbi. Over and over again, you hear people calling him throughout the Gospels, Rabbi. Soon as he will see on Easter Sunday morning, Mary, Rabboni. That's what she calls him, teacher, master. And he has followers. He's teaching the scriptures. And yet, he is attracting dirty, sinful, unclean people like, like tax collectors. Verse 1 tells us that, that they're drawn near to him. They're attracted to him. As a wee aside, like I wonder, are these kinds of people attracted to us? What kind of people are we attracted to? And not only that, the Pharisees' main objection isn't that, that Jesus is attracting these kind of people, but he's actually welcoming them. He's receiving them. He's eating with them. And it's hard for us to grasp the scandal of that, right? But, but in, in Jesus' day, in that culture, to receive somebody and eat with them was to enter into community with them. To have fellowship around the dinner table, to, to break bread. I would break a piece of my bread and pass it to them is to enter into a relationship with them. And the Pharisees thought that, that to do this would make Jesus unclean and impure. They're not our kind of people, Jesus. They're not the kinds of people that rabbis eat with. Do you know how sinful they are, Jesus? The bottom line is that the Pharisees and scribes believe that the sinners and tax collectors don't deserve the kingdom of God like they do. And Jesus challenges the attitudes of the religious ones towards the lost by describing God's heart for the lost by these two parables. First, the lost sheep and then the lost coin. I love how Jesus teaches. He's just this master teacher and, and he, he, he teaches in ways that connect to his audience. He's using everyday common things to describe the heart of an almighty infinite God. I, I love that Jesus doesn't use doesn't ever use complicated theological language. That's only some people invented, by the way. Jesus teaches plain and simple. He's standing there, maybe sees a flock of sheep out in the field. He definitely sees shepherds there because he speaks directly to them. He sees women there, and he speaks directly to them. Now, both these stories have the same flow and, and four things in common. Something is lost. You can stick it on the screen if you want, please, Kenny. Lost, something is lost, there is a search, then it is found, and there is rejoicing. That's what happens in each of these four stories. Something is lost, there is a search, the lost thing is found, and there is rejoicing. Do you see what Jesus is doing here? In the context of, of some people thinking that they are better than others, Jesus paints a picture of the gospel. Jesus is saying, do you see the Father's heart? You're saying they don't deserve they don't deserve to be in the kingdom of God? Well, let me show you how God sees these people. You think you know what God is about. You think you know what he's up to. But God is for the worst of the worst. He's for the sinners. He's for the unclean ones, the unworthy ones. Very simply, God is saying, or Jesus is saying, God has a heart for the lost. God has a heart 
were lost. And by the way, it's, it's, it's easy to be lost in more than one way. Pharisees were lost in their own righteousness, and they didn't even realize it. And, and what we're going to do is, I, I'm just going to look at God's heart for the lost through looking at each of the elements of these stories, the being lost, the search, the being found, and the rejoicing. And then I'm going to finish with a couple of applications for our lives. So let's start with the first part, the thing that was lost. A shepherd loses one of his sheep. A woman loses a coin. Now, the shepherd in the story isn't super wealthy, but he has a flock of 100 sheep, so he's doing okay. He's probably, you know, like he's not a, a massive farmer, but 100 sheep's a lot in those days. And the point is that, that to lose one sheep out of 100 isn't a lot. He's, he, he's got 99 left. On the other hand, however, the woman has lost a drachma, which is a Greek coin and would have been worth about a day's wage. I don't know about you, but for me to lose a day's wage is quite a lot. It's a big deal for her. She has lost a tenth of her wealth. It's not a big sum of money in the grass scheme of things, but to this woman, it is a lot. Now, maybe you're the kind of person that's always losing things all the time, or maybe you're married to someone that's always losing things, and I am not making any comment on that at all, but there's nothing more frustrating than losing something that's valuable to you. That day when we lost George, our dog, it was so dramatic and, and traumatic we we were we thought he was gone forever i mean it's just a silly dog at the end of the day but he, you know it, it's our dog we were going out of our minds and we didn't want to say it to the kids but we were thinking we're he's that's it we've lost him forever we did find him by the way thanks to the power of facebook um who knew it still had a use um <laughs> but it's even worse when you lose a person of great value to you isn't it or you're in the pr- process of of losing a person that you love or, or you're in danger of lo- losing a person that you love. Think of our sister Jenny that, that had to say goodbye to her mum this week. And when we think on this level, then we might be begin to understand God's heart towards us. See, we are the lost sheep. We are the lost coin. We are the thing that was lost. Isaiah 53, verse 6, all we, like sheep, have gone astray. And he has turned every one of us to our own way. You ever play the game, if you were an animal, what would you do? Well, when the Lord plays this game, when he compares us to an animal, we're not lions with great courage. We're not dogs with great loyalty. We're not dolphins with with great intelligence. We are sheep. Uh, I think it was Tim Keller said that this is God's well-intentioned insult. (laughs) We're sheep. Now, I know a lot of you People that grew up in the city don't understand what sheep are like. I grew up in the country, worked on a farm. I understand what sheep are like. Sheep are dumb. Sheep are instinct-driven. They will keep following the grass. They will keep going. They will bust through fences to get to the next wee piece of grass they see. They will walk through streams. They will step off the edge of cliffs. They will keep going wherever that grass leads them, even if it leads them into danger. They are slaves to finding what will satisfy them. Uh, it used to be all the time you'd see like sheep wandering the roads or up on the, 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 on the, the side of the hedge because they had just broke through a fence trying to find a piece of grass. No way to get back. Church, this is how we are lost. All we like sheep have gone astray and we've all turned our own way. We're, we're all like sheep following the grass. Wherever we think we will find something to satisfy us, that's where our feet will go. And so we blindly go after our careers to satisfy us. Or we seek marriage and relationships to fulfill us. Or, or we see the green 
grasp of whatever the latest TikTok trend of health or fitness or well-being might be, and we think, that's the boy for me, I'm away. But, the, but being lost is, is going after things to satisfy ourselves, like sheep wandering off to look, after, look for grass, no matter how wounded it is. We've all turned away from God. And here's the other thing about sheep. Sheep have terrible homing instincts. Once a sheep goes, it, it can never find its way back. In fact, until the shepherd turns up, it doesn't even know it's lost. It's just standing on the edge of a cliff, sitting on a bit of grass, with no clue of the danger it's in, and no way of ever finding its way back. We don't like to admit it, but outside of Jesus, this is how we are lost. In danger, wandering around, looking for the next thing to fill us up, and no way of ever finding our way back. And the only thing that can save us and find us is an act of sheer grace. We need a shepherd to come and find us. And we don't like to think of ourselves as lost, do we? It doesn't sit well. Well, look at all I've achieved. You know, like, I'm a decent person. I live my life trying to be nice to people and trying to help others. Look, I'm actually doing okay. I've got a good degree and I'm, I'm keeping myself in shape and I fell in love with a nice person. I think they might love me too. Society says, you man, you isn't lost. Are you out of your mind? Look how much we've progressed. Look at the scientific advancements. Look, look at all the diseases we've, we've eradicated. Look at all the cities we've built. The truth is that if, if we don't realize that we're lost and recognize the magnitude of our lostness, then we can never understand the magnitude of his grace and mercy. And by the way, the evidence is overwhelmingly points towards the fact that we are lost and that humanity is lost. In this picture of the gospel that Jesus is painting, the first step is to recognize that we are the kinds of lost. Now, the next part of the parable is the search. So both the shepherd and the woman immediately begin to look for the thing that was lost. The shepherd cares for every single sheep in his flock, even though he has a big flock. And the coin is of, a, of great value to the woman, so she searches. And this isn't just a surface level, you know, quick scan to see where it is, right? This isn't like every single morning of my life when Abigail loses her hairbrush. And I say, would you go and look for it? And she comes back and says, I can't find it, it's lost. And then I go into a room and it's sitting right there on top of the dresser. That's not the kind of search Jesus does. The shepherd goes out actively looking for his sheep. The sheep, like I said, have terrible instincts to get back. And so the shepherd leaves his flock. He climbs up hills and down valleys and over fences and, and through streams and, and looks in every crevice and behind every rock. Jesus says he goes after it until it is found. He's going to find the sheep no matter what. That's the good news, isn't it? He's not coming home until it's found. Likewise, this woman turns her house upside down. She, she, she lights the lamp to help her see. She sweeps. You know what it says she sweeps? That's because the floor, the dirt floor, had been covered in, in straw. And she sweeps it out. I'm going to sweep the whole house out till I find this coin. Church, this is how Jesus has sought for us. The theme of this book is that the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. Luke 19, verse 10. Jesus Christ came into the world to save sinners, and he will not fail. He doesn't stop until it is found. Jesus did whatever was necessary to find us. He didn't just put posters up on the lamppost that he had lost a pet. 
he actively came and pursued us. He gave his own life to find us. He gave up the glory of heaven. He emptied himself to all rights to be God. He came to us in our place of lostness. From the very beginning, from the time when sin first entered the world, God had a plan to search for us, his lost sheep. And that plan found its culmination in Jesus. See, the Pharisees had made it a scandal that Jesus was eating with sinners. It was a scandal. But, but Jesus is saying, listen, the real scandal is that, that you guys, the religious leaders of Israel, are not doing what you should be doing. Israel was meant to be a light to the nations. We, the people of God should be welcoming sinners. They were meant to be shepherds to the people, but they had failed over and over again. Ezekiel 34, verses 2 to 4 says, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel who have been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the lost you have not sought. God's people have been neglecting their shepherdly duty. They haven't gone after the lost sheep to bring them to safety. The scandal isn't that Jesus is, is seeking lost sheep by eating with sinners. The real scandal is that he is doing what Israel failed to do. And in Jesus, God has fulfilled his promise to raise up a true and good shepherd. Not one that, that, that eats his sheep and dresses himself from their wool, but one who lays down his life for his sheep. Who rescues them at any cost. God goes on to say in Ezekiel 34, uh, he says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I myself will search for my sheep and will seek them out. As a shepherd seeks out his flock when he is among his sheep that have been scattered, so I, so will I seek out my sheep, and I will rescue them from all places where they have been scattered on a day of clouds and thick darkness. And I will bring them out from all peoples and gather them from the countries and will bring them into their own land. And I will feed them on the mountains of Israel. I will feed them in good pasture. They shall lie down in good grazing land and on rich pasture they shall feed. I myself you know what God is saying? I might, God's going to do it. I myself will be the shepherd of my sheep. And I myself will make them lie down. I will seek the lost. And I will bring back the strayed. And I will bind up the injured. And I will strengthen the weak. And the fat and the strong I will destroy. I will feed them in justice. Listen, what am I trying to say here? What is God's, what is Jesus saying by this shepherd goes looking for his sheep? This woman goes looking after her coin. He's saying, do you see how much God loves you? Do you see how much God cares about you? He has sought us. He himself is the shepherd of his sheep. You are of such value to God that he gave up his only son to come and find you. He has gone to every length, to the ends of the earth to look for us. The Lord of the, the universe has come seeking, has, has become a seeking, suffering savior. This is how much you are valued by him. The world might not put much value on you, Listen, you probably don't put that much value on yourself. But you are treasured by the Lord of heaven. You're treasured by the Lord of the universe. Do you see how much God loves you? You think, I'm worthless. But Jesus says, no, you're not. I'm coming looking for you. Do you see how much I love you? 
cross that God has sought us through Jesus. The next thing is, the next stage is the thing is found. The lost thing is found. In both parables, Jesus tells that the, the, the shepherd finds the sheep. The coin is found by the woman. Now, I don't have to tell you the analogy that, that Jesus is pointing to. It's simply this. That our good shepherd finds his sheep. The shepherd finds his sheep. The search doesn't end until he comes home with that sheep on his shoulder. The search doesn't end until the house has been swept and the coin is back in the woman's pocket. This is the experience of every single person who has ever come to Christ. But you see, who knows where we are? Right? You know the difference between a lost sheep and a lost dog? A lost dog will try to find its way back. A lost sheep doesn't even know it's lost. If you've ever found a lost sheep, and I have quite a few times, they don't know they need to be rescued. In fact, if you find it, it'll probably try and run away from you. If you find it, it'll like, keep looking for grass. That's why the shepherd has to bind up its feet and put it on its shoulders, on its shoulders to bring it back. A lost dog will, on some effort, like come when you call him, George, come on, boy, he'll come running. He has some way of knowing. Or he might even find his own way back eventually. Sheep can't do that. But our shepherd knows where we are. And he looks for us and he finds us. And we think we find him. But in truth, he finds us. You see, the, the sheep are only lost because it has wandered away. The shepherd hasn't misplaced the sheep. Like sometimes if I can't find something, it's because I've left it somewhere and I can't remember where I've left it, right? But Jesus hasn't lost us. We've wandered away. We've gone, oh, that looks good over there. wonder what that is. Oh, no, it's a massive cliff, and now I'm dead. We've wandered away from God. We, we, we turned our backs, backs on him and walked down a path that results on, on us being lost and cut off from him. I remember when I was probably only about five or six, and we were on holiday in a caravan park down south somewhere. I can't remember. I think it was Wexford, but... I wandered away from my parents, right? Massive caravan park, massive campsite. And I kept going, right? It was me, so I was just probably acting like a sheep. What's that over there? And I kept going, I kept going. And all of a sudden, I'm like, oh my goodness. I don't know where mommy and daddy are. No idea. There would be no chance in the world of me getting back. The only thing I could do was hope that they would come and find me. I'm glad to hear they did. I wasn't raised in like some orphanage in Wexford or something. They did, they did find me. They came and got, it's all good. But our good shepherd finds us. He finds you in your broken dreams. He finds you in your despair. He finds you in the, the depths of your grief and your sorrow. He finds you in the depths of your sin. He finds you when you have wandered away from him. Are you even there, God? And he says, I am. I'm here. I found you. Now listen, a fully grown sheep weighs anywhere between 100 and 160 kilos. Now, if you've ever done squats at the gym, you'll know that uh, putting 160 kilos on your shoulders is a heavy weight. At least it is for me. That's a quite heavy weight for me to squat. But, in fact, that'd be a push. But the point is that the shepherd takes the, the sheep on as his burden on his shoulders. This is what Jesus does for us. It's a picture of a sacrifice uh, that he is uh, caring for us, that he has intimate with us. When that sheep's on his shoulders, he can feel the sheep tremble in his fear. He can feel the warmth. He can feel the heartbeat of the sheep. He has rescued us and he is walking with us as we are exhausted and weary. I remember one time when I worked on the farm, 
uh, they found a hole in the fence, and of course, uh, this ewe had gotten out, or if you're in Balmain, a yow. Um, this ewe had gotten out, and I'm translating for you city folk. Um, this ewe got out, and uh, I found her, and she was in what we call a shock. You know what a shock is? Like a X, right? But with water at the bottom. And she was close to death, lying there trembling. She couldn't even move. And the only thing I could do was grab her and pull her out of that. If I hadn't done that, what would have, uh, maybe another few hours, maybe a day, she would have died. He has done everything to find us. And when he does, our Savior picks us up and carries us to a place of safety. Now, if you are in Jesus, there is no doubt that you will be brought to the place of safety because you're not walking there in your own strength. He is carrying you. Church, listen to this promise to you from God when he says in Isaiah 46, he says, even to your old age, all the way through your life, I am he, and to gray hairs or no hairs, I will carry you. I have made, and I will bear, I will carry, and I will save. Now, I've been talking to a few people recently about how hard Christian life can be. About, about struggles with doubt and lacking that we're even saved. And often we think that because we don't feel strong in our faith, that we're not really saved at all. But this is the whole point. <laughs> Jesus carries us. We're just the lost sheep on his shoulders. That you would have died if I hadn't pulled her out. We're just lost sheep on his shoulders. We can't be strong, but our shepherd is strong. Our salvation isn't dependent on the strength of our faith. It's dependent on the strength of the shoulders he is carrying us. See, the Pharisees, they were pretty strong in their faith, weren't they? You say, hey, you guys going to be in the kingdom? Like, of course we're going to be in the kingdom. You see my priestly robes? You see, see the, my, the, the, all the, the, the prayer tassels that I wear? You, you want to see how much money I've given to the temple? They had no doubt whatsoever in their salvation, and yet it is they who are lost. But it is the weak and weary sinner who realizes that they need salvation, that they need grace and mercy. They are the ones who are truly found. It's the one who realizes that, that they have to be carried home by the shepherd who are saved. Brothers and sisters, if you feel weak in your faith, if you feel doubtful, don't lose heart because you are being carried by the good shepherd. I really want us to grasp this. I need that. That which was lost has been found. The search has been carried out. The lost thing has been found. We are being carried to safety. And then the last part of the story is that there is rejoicing. In verse 6, the shepherd throws a party and celebra celebrates with his friends. In verse 9, the woman also throws a party. She says, re re rejoice with me, for I have, found, uh, my, I have found the coin that I had lost. The shepherd says, rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. And her friends come over and there's laughing and hugging and joy and celebration because that which was so valuable to her has been found. Now here's the thing that, here's the thing that I was thinking about this week. It's not cheap to throw a party, is it? This woman probably spent more than that one coin to celebrate. Isn't that foolish? 
you be you just you spend all this time looking for this coin and now you've wasted it on this party? This is kind of Jesus' point here. It's not about economics. It's about grace. It's about holy, holy, foolish, lavish grace. If only God could be so loving as to be so foolish as to give so much to find us. To give up everything. Theologian James Edwards says, there is the joy of God has no price. And what he means is that, that his joy over finding his lost children is worth paying the highest price imaginable. No expense spared. God knew the cost of finding us and saving us, and he was delighted to pay it. Like, like God, God is delighted. God is delighted to save you. Not because he wanted to sacrifice his own son. That was a terrible cost. It was an awful cost. But because to him, the joy of saving us was worth that terribly high cost. This is, this is grace. This is grace. And I, I mean, I, I wish I was a better communicator. Do you see the grace in this? It's the joy that, that Jesus has. In both stories, Jesus emphasizes the joy of God, the joy of heaven, the angels, when one lost sheep is found, when one kind of barely worth it coin is found. And Jesus says, when one sinner repents, the angels rejoice. Salvation isn't some business transaction for God, right? It's not a dry legal matter. Salvation is a source of joy for God. Hebrews 12 verse 2 says of Jesus that it was because of the, it was because of the joy that was set before him that he endured the cross and all its suffering. And that, that means that it was because of the joy that he would receive of seeing you saved that Jesus went through all that he went through. He died that agonizing death and went through all the shame and the torture and pain. It was pure joy. And we're up here going, God, are you really there? And he's like, man, I am rejoicing over you with singing. Zephaniah 3.17, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one to save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will comfort you in his love and he will exult over you with loud singing. He is full of joy to save us. His love for us means that when we who were lost are found, he is full of joy. When someone trusts in Jesus for the first time, heaven hears a testimony. That's what Jesus says here. The lost are searched for, they are found, there is rejoicing. Listen, this is the story of the gospel. This is the heart of God for the lost. Now, listen, I want to finish with, with just a couple of applications for our lives. Three things. Firstly, when we realize what God has done for us, when we receive his grace, we will take on a posture of repentance. Okay? So see what Jesus is saying here. He's saying that there is joy in heaven over one sinner who repents. Just so I tell you, verse 7, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. He's saying the Pharisees don't need to repent. What he's saying is that they are people who think they don't need to repent. Repentance was a core part of Jesus' teaching. Repent and believe that the kingdom of God is at hand. And repentance, it, it, what is it? It's simply a change of heart and a change of life. So, so it's to turn from one way and, and completely onto another way. It's to stop, fall on the grass of lesser things and say, hang on, my shepherd really wants to protect me and feed me. And, I, and, and notice this, righteousness doesn't bring rejoicing in heaven. Repentance does. 
The, the self-righteousness and good works of the Pharisees doesn't make heaven rejoice. Relying on our own righteousness and the fact that we come to church or are good Christians or any of that kind of stuff, that doesn't make the angels throw a party. A whole, full, a whole church full of self-righteous Christians is no cause for celebration. But if just one sinner truly repents, the angels have a party. Heaven rejoices not over, over people who think they are righteous, but over sinners saved by grace. And this is why we need to take on this posture of repentance. When we receive his grace, when we recognize that we are lost and simply repent, then that will lead to a life of repentance. Lauren already mentioned this when we were doing our prayer of confession. She said, the more I walk with Jesus, the more I realize that I have stuff to confess, right? We will live with a posture of repentance. Repentance is simply recognizing that we are in need of the grace of Jesus. And that doesn't stop when you become a Christian. In fact, the, the Christian life is a life of daily relying on his grace. And the longer our shep the shepherd carries you through life, the more you'll realize you need to be carried. We've, as long as we live and until we have reached the green pastures of the promised land, that then, then we'll be tempted to wander off and look for other things that might satisfy us. But the grass looks greener, doesn't it? We'll be tempted to wander into the fields of money or relationships or porn or whatever it might be. And this is why we have to have that posture of repentance. Really reminding ourselves that the shepherd is carrying us to safety. And, and turning away from our own ways and remembering that only his grace can save us and that only he can bring us to save us to safety and no one else did for us what, what he did for us. That's the first thing. We'll have a posture of repentance. Secondly then, when we've received that grace, when we realize that we are just lost sheep that, that have been found, we will be motivated towards evangelism. Now, what does that mean? Well, you see, the Pharisees were saying, those people don't deserve the kingdom of God. You know what I've been thinking about all weekend? Who do I think doesn't deserve it? Who are the people in our lives that don't look like us, that don't dress like us, that don't sound like us, that have different political views, that have done horrific things in their past, that cheat and scam and lie, and we're out here doing our best to try and be good people. Do we think they're not worthy of the kingdom? Why do we not talk to our neighbors? Why do we not tell them? But you see, when we realize that we are, have been lost and that Jesus has found us, we will join him in going to look for the sheep. And I'm not saying that we become Jesus. We are not the shepherd. But the church is the way that God seeks for his lost sheep. So we will take the message to the lost sheep. We will go and tell them that we've been found. Say, hey, you, you know that gra grass you're feeding on? Well, listen, look around because you're actually standing on the edge of a cliff here, mate. And you don't realize it, but, but look, there's a shepherd who's out looking for you. And by the way, he has the safety and satisfaction that you so desire. And here's the best part about evangelism. Here's the best part of sharing the, the shepherd. We're not doing it alone. <laughs> we can be encouraged and motivated in this because Jesus is the one who has searched us. We're not out there leading the search party. In fact, we're just one of the people who gets to celebrate when he finds us. Jesus is doing the work. And if Jesus is on the job, then the job's going to get done, right? So we can be motivated towards evangelism. Simply sharing with people that we were lost and now we're found and that they can be found too. That's all we're called to. 
just want to finish with this. It, if, if, you, if you're someone here that hasn't trusted in Jesus yet, can I just sem- gently say to you this morning that you're a lost sinner? And maybe you don't like to hear that, or maybe you haven't realized it yet. Just a lost sheep like me, like everybody else in this church. But there is a good shepherd who has done everything to come and find you. And you know you can trust him because he's already given everything. (laughs) And as we live as Christians, we know we can trust him because he's already given everything. And so if you haven't trusted him yet, why, why not just realize that you need him and turn to him and say, I'm lost and I need you to carry me. That's all there is to it. That's how you become a Christian and that's how you live as a Christian. I'm lost, Lord, and I need you to carry me. That's the gospel. We were lost. Jesus sought for us. He found us. He's carrying us home. And man, oh man, one day we're going to have the mother of all celebrations. I like a good party. But any party I've been to is not going to be like that party. Let's pray and then we're going to come to the Lord's table.